Hello, I'm Andrew from Ara Video in Wellington, New Zealand, and welcome to episode 6 of Back to the Disc Player, the Ara Video podcast. It's inspired by our Adopt-A-Movie scheme, which enables film lovers to purchase an exclusive lifelong affiliation with a title in our library, or an acquisition that we may not have. It's where I get the privilege to talk to our customers and supporters about their personal connection to a film or films they've chosen to adopt, and for us to find out a bit about them too. My special guest for episode 6 is James Partridge, director of the second annual Terrify, that's Terra F.I. Film Festival, a horror thriller and science fiction festival which commences on Wednesday the 31st of October, runs through to the 4th of November at the Roxy Cinema in Wellington. If you're listening past those dates, it's still worth a listen. James is a guy who loves genre films and the spirit of enterprise, and his enthusiasm for both is infectious. We talk uh, about some of the films he's programmed, of course, and also about what it takes to put together such a project. He's a man who thinks outside the box and whom I suspect will have a lot to contribute to the local industry in the coming years. Also, stay tuned after the chat for part one of my essay, or rant uh, indeed, about censorship in New Zealand, a subject which, as you'll hear, is directly connected to some of my conversation with James. Thanks also to my RO colleague, Svender Strom, who recorded this episode. Welcome to Upstairs at RO Video, James. Thanks, Good Andrew. to have you here. Yeah, now, look, before we get cracking into onto the subject of movies, I just thought I'd let you know or introduce you to the Garage Project beers that they've uh, kindly donated to us today. And um, we've chosen one of three beers we've been uh, presented with. And appropriately sci-fi themed beer. That's right. So you, you got the honours of choosing the Venusian. Presumably it's from Venus Pale Ale, the VPA. Um, and it's, it's a good drop. It's not a bad drop at all. It's yeah. quite cinnamony. Do you want to try some, Svender? <laughs> it's, it's got, got a good nose on it. It's got a heck of a nose. Um, I see on the bottle it says, um, established over 160 years ago. And then it has in brackets, not really, in very fine print. Which anyway. is maybe why it's quite light. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. But it is 7.5%. Um, oh, that's right. So, so, so good. That'll, that'll get the... Appropriately strong. The juice is flowing. Um, cheers. 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 Okay. All right. So um, nice of you to come up here. You are the director of the Terrify Film Festival. I am. Um, which takes place at the Roxy Cinema in Miramar, um, opening on Halloween night this uh, next Wednesday uh, with The Shining and, and finishing on Sunday the 4th of November. Second time in an annual event. Yep. 12 films in five days. Bigger and better than last year, James. It is bigger and better than last year. Uh, last year, being the first year, was it was quite an experiment. Um, it was something that was put together, not last minute, but it all, you know, all the planets aligned quite late to get it running. And yep. so we started with eight films to see how um, people would like it, and it went really well. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't have been happier with, with that. So, again... Um, this year we decided to add more films. We got more attention as a result of it, so the studios were offering us more, yep. more things to look at. Uh, and uh, very fortunate to have the films we have this year. We've got some great yeah, films. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. So the festival, in terms of going from you know en enlarging by fifty percent, so you found that once you were a proven entity at running a festival, that people were calling you and saying how about programming a, a um, little bit i had yeah. something to show them and i could show them the films that we had last year which were actually very good um 
and being able to take that and send it to uh, you know, studios large and small and say this is who we are and this is what we had certainly yeah. opened a lot of doors and I'm very fortunate with what I do I get to travel to a lot of festivals so being able to actually you know, talk to producers uh, yeah. direct uh, when their films have just been released to say hey we'd love to show them and show them what we did last year always helps so you know you are I guess proven in some way yep sure yeah. so the so sourcing the films is not just a dealing with New Zealand or Australasian distributors it's actually going to to the the source itself sometimes yeah it is it is it's a bit of a mix um, the the New Zealand um, and Australian distributors are brilliant um, they've been absolutely fantastic and really supportive and so there's been yeah they've been firing you know films at us which has been fantastic but also going and finding those ones that are straight out of the likes of Toronto and Fantastic Fest um, straight direct from the producers has been amazing yep. and that means we can get films that have only shown you know had their world premieres yep. a couple of weeks ago yep so that's one of the angles of the festival is to be on the cutting edge yep. yeah absolutely yep. and, and find some gems that you normally wouldn't find things that may take a while to come out or you won't see yeah. So talk us through a little bit about, uh, you don't have to go through all 12 films, but about the, 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 the mix that you've chosen for this year's program. Uh, you've got a couple of classics um, and you've got a few, uh, a couple of reboots, I think. Uh, you've yep. got some sequels. I mean, just tell us about what uh, you know, made up the, the, the mix uh, and, and how that was formulated. Yeah, I mean, like last year, I, I kind of wanted to get a range. So it's, you know, it's a festival that celebrates genre and we started with horror thriller and sci-fi and we'll expand over the years but it, it wasn't just to go down one path and say we only deal with splatter horrors or anything that's particularly gory like psychological and you know one of the films we've got is a sci-fi western which we'll talk about later you know kind of get some really interesting films in there as well as stuff that will appeal to you know the gory crowd as well it's kind of yeah sure. I, try, I try to get a real mix um, and and do some interesting things like as I said the sci-fi western there's a Korean gangster action thriller yep. um, not just a standard you know thriller so so I, I try to throw in some some interesting yeah. films and something yeah it's cliche I know but something for everyone really yeah no absolutely yeah. Uh, so The Shining is the opening film um, now just doing a little bit of research this week I uh, it, it reminded me that there was in fact a um, an extended cut of that film was that something that you possibly could have got or what's the story with The Shining we, in that cut we, oh, I don't I, I actually, it's almost mythical it is it is mythical and it is out there we decided to go for the for the classic yeah um, uh, just because it's in its purest form mind you having said that last year we played the director's cut of Robocop so I can't really say that that's, yeah. the, that's the road we usually take um, that was the one that we decided was going to be the best for the night it's slightly shorter um, yeah. not by much because you're running an event as well you're doing uh, we a, a, a kind of drinks and other surprises yeah, the, well, uh, the, the, before the screening so that you know a two and a half hour movie is not necessarily conducive no, to no, an event it, no it's, it's not not really with people who've already you know, had, had a few beforehand um, uh, the, the opening night event is in partnership with the, the Roxy and Coco at the Roxy who do Roxy Horror and you know Planets Aligned this year that we could actually uh, have a host a joint event, the Roxy Horror event, and it was The Shining, and the, the entire Roxy Cinema has been turned into the Overlook Hotel, um, complete with bubbling blood red rum cocktail, nice. uh, jazz band, even a barman who looks like Lloyd serving drinks. Awesome. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'll be there. It's it's, a, it's, a, it's going to be a fun. It's going <laughs> to be a fun decided. night. I'm going to be there. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be a fun night. Good, excellent. So, um, all right, I noticed. Um, so in terms of the, the marquee films that you have, the ones that you are really proud to get, what, what, what are those, uh, those highlights? Oh, yeah, well, uh, obviously there's a couple of bigger budget 
um, more you know well-known films. So the J.J. Abrams, you know, everybody knows J.J. Uh, the Bad Robot, J.J. Abrams, Paramount, Overlord, the 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 action horror Nazi yeah. zombie World yeah. War Two film uh, was a big big coup to get it. Uh, it had its yeah. world premiere three weeks ago at Fantastic Fest. Um, so we were you know one of the first festivals to get that. So I was really really stoked, and that's ahead. Of, so it's a New Zealand premiere ahead yeah. of its. It's not J.J. Uh, Abrams directed. Though, no, he's it? not it's, directing it. No, mm, no. Um, yeah. So he but he's producing it. Yeah. And and usually everything he touches is pretty mm-hmm. good. I have seen it, and it, yep. I really, really enjoyed it. It's a load of fun, yep. uh, and it's and unlike some studio films, it's actually quite balls to the wall, as opposed to being sort of a soft right. studio take on. Okay. No, it's it's hardcore. And would that be reflective of JJ Abrams' clout now? To, I, th- I to think be able so. To... If he wanted to do it, he yeah. does it his way. Or the, yeah. yeah, So I, th- yeah. I th- you know, it's it, they haven't gone soft core yeah. on it. It's a really yeah. good film. Uh, and the remake of Suspiria is probably the other the big the big draw yep. card there. Um, which is which is a it's it's really interesting it's 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 it plays homage to the original but it also it's its own thing and yeah. it stands out in its own right sure. um it's it's quite twisted and interesting and again it doesn't hold back it's quite yeah. polarizing i when i saw it with an audience in, in, in fantastic fest people yeah. liked it or hated it it was yeah. really interesting i liked that yeah. about it i really enjoyed it i loved it well that's the other um, one i'm really keen to see um because it has the the, the twin appeal of being a suspiria Remake and and also from the, the director of I Am Love and Call Me yes. by Your Name, so the Italian yeah. director and he, whose, he, name, whose name I can't quite remember. Or yeah, pronounce. <laughs> but he takes his own, he puts his own spin on it. Yeah, and, exactly. And it's, and certainly, he yeah. it owns it owns its own space. But yeah. uh, and standout performances from Dakota Johnson and Tilda Swinton in it. Yeah. So you've got some big. Yeah, uh, it looks there. like a class act all round. It is it, yeah. very much so. Um, probably the ones that uh, kind of the hidden gems, I guess you'd call them. Uh, Anna and the Apocalypse is one. Actually, it's done the festival circuit, but never played in New Zealand. Uh, and it's a, a Christmas a zombie horror musical of all things. Um, and it's you know that was that was a, I did took that sight unseen because I'd heard so many good things about with it. A female lead with a female lead. Yeah. We love our female leads at this festival. Yeah. It's got some great ones. Yeah. Prospects, another one we'll talk about. But um, and Prospect is another one that was a complete surprise. A sci-fi western. When I watched it, I'd heard a little bit about it, but when I got yeah. the screen and watched it, I was like, oh, geez. And yeah. that for me, that's one of the great things about um, doing what I do is being able to discover those yeah. gem films. Yeah. That people may not get yeah, to see. And, and Prospect was one that you did uh, um, uh, give me a, a screener of. So I have, that's the one film I have seen of the festival, besides the two classics. Um, and I did very much enjoy it uh, and would recommend it. Um, interesting, it's called a sci-fi western. Uh, for those that don't know, probably have um, images in their mind of <laughs> yeah. cowboys versus aliens or something like it's that. Not quite like but that. in fact, it's really about prospecting mm. in the gold rush sense. Yes, it, uh, it is. So there's no cowboy hats. There's no a lot of cowboy airtight uh, spacesuits. Yes, but uh, that's a hat of sorts in some, <laughs> in some yeah. way. But it's got that sensibility. It's um, it's interesting. The trailer for it, when if you see it, is is a little bit uh, misleading because it does still have that kind of slow burn to it. It's very character driven. Yeah, it's it's about the interactions between these characters, both good and bad, um, over their their sort of mutual journey to to. Uh, escape the situation they're in and I really liked that it kind of had that's that's the western feel it brings to the absolutely and and just doing a little bit of research I noticed it was expanded from a 2014 short of the same name and it does have that feel to it yes um it it uh, has a real um sure-footedness it's first time featured directors partnership and it certainly exceeds the level of most debut films it does. Um, it's very and assured. It, it yeah. is, and and I thought, well, you know, how does one get 
something so assured on the screen first time and and making a short film with a similar concept is one way of doing it. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I really liked about the film is it just gets the details right and the production design and the science of the world that it creates. So it really convinces you and immerses you in the world that it creates. It does. And to me, that's 90% of sci-fi. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and, and it, it and takes it's, itself seriously anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And even down to the prospecting itself, you know, yeah. it's like the, the, the higher the risk, you yeah. know, the higher the reward, and it show it showcases just how risky that yeah. is yeah. Uh, in terms of not only, you know, the situation they're in, but how they go about collecting yeah. uh, that without giving too much away. There's yeah. kind of, you know, it, it's... Um, and really nice performances. And, Fantastic and, performance. um, anchored by that central performance by... Much seems a like a fourteen-year-old yeah. girl. You know, yeah, and she's, she's fantastic, and, yeah. and that's, I guess, you know, part of the reason yeah. why I chose her for the poster. Uh, yeah. And uh, Gunpowder and Sky, who kindly, um, and Sophie herself, kindly approved us, us using her image. Yeah. But it was she was her performance is brilliant. Yeah. And, and yeah. it was worthy of putting yeah. on the. So you've the been directly in touch with the, the makers of the film. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So some of them, um, without giving too much away, some of yeah. them have kindly recorded a few things ahead of some of the screenings. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, it was interesting. I oh, actually I won't give away the prospect one. I was going to tell you that, but I'm not going to. No, you have to okay. go see it. Yeah. Um, but it was something about how much time they spent in the helmets. Uh, but uh, you know the the directors and producers are really excited about screening their films in New Zealand. Mm. And again, that's a great way to showcase New Zealand as a as a place for them to perhaps consider shooting or. Coming out, you know, and for future festivals. So. Yep, yep. It sounds like, uh, you know, quite ambitious what you're doing. You know, you, it, it's it is. Um, it seems like a lot of scope, uh, and a lot of directions that you can go in the future. Um, we've talked uh, at our last meeting about um, about New Zealand film and about genre filmmaking. I know that's something that you're quite passionate about. Um, there's no New Zealand films in this year's festival. Uh, right? There's all New Zealand shorts in front of New Zealand shorts in front of right. films as there were last year. So we're trying to showcase upcoming talent uh, and yeah. encourage more genre films to be made. There was yeah. one uh, thriller that I wanted to include in the festival this year, but it isn't quite finished yet. So we'll hopefully include it next year. Um, yeah. But I want it to be a place that you know, New Zealand genre films get screening, get recognised. And then get to travel the world and, and get you know our genre filmmakers to get more opportunities from there. Yeah, um, it was an interesting thing setting it up. I mean, aside from always wanting to run a festival, even since I was a kid, showing people films left, right, and centre. Um, I'm very fortunate with what I do. I do take projects to market and connect them with sales agents, and and I get to go to a lot of the festivals, which is why I got to see a whole lot mm. of films and decided to start a festival. But having a festival um, changes the relationship with sales agents quite a bit. Because normally when you go to market, you're you know one of 10,000 people, you knock on the door, you get your 10 minutes. When you have a festival, um, the relationship changes. You're screening their films, you get to actually build a relationship with those agents and talk to them outside of the, the marketplace. And, and that in turn opens opportunities to showcase what New Zealand has to offer. And Excellent. I'd love to see more genre content made here yeah. uh, and making that connection is, is, yeah. is a... Is a this is what I'm talking about with the scope. You know, yeah, you, you can turn yourself into a wee ambassador. Yeah, you know, in, in, uh, in, in, yeah there are plenty out there, but if yeah, I can be yeah, one yeah, of those yeah. and then help get more, more genre content made, yeah, yeah absolutely. So sure. that sales agency, is that something to do with your day job? Uh, it is. It's something, yeah. Uh, yeah, my, my day job, I have a, 
a market I'm a marketer I've got a marketing company yeah. um, but I've I've been in film for probably about 10 years in fact I saved this one for you we first met um, mm-hmm. I about I think it was about nine or ten years ago I released mm-hmm. a small news on Horacle when night falls all right yes. and you right. were one of the first places to take it all right uh, sure. and I remember dropping off my uh, copies <laughs> okay. of the DVDs to you yes yes, yes. Um, I think it was 10 or so yeah so, sure. so that, okay. that was no, kind no, of I remember first, it now yeah yeah um, so yeah. it's probably still in here so you we? produced that film uh, no, yeah. no, I didn't. No, no, no. I came on as the, I came on as, as a distributor. Right. So right, I was right. I, when I, I was in the UK for a long time. When I came back, I decided I really wanted to get into film. Right. In that marketing space, I guess. And I, I got I got to see the script uh, yeah. and met Alex Galvin, who was the director, and um, really loved it and got involved yeah. in the process. And and yeah. at that stage, it was before digital had become a big thing, and you still had to put a lot of stuff on the film print. It was really expensive, and the yeah. distributors wouldn't necessarily take it unless they thought it was going to make a lot of money. And this was a, you know, a great but low budget film. Mm. And uh, so I said, right, I'm going to I'm going to release it. And a friend of mine and I put in the money, and we went travelled around the country, knocking on all the cinemas' doors, showing them the movie, and and we managed to get into a quarter of the country cinemas. And that sort of piqued my interest on wow. how to get film out. I guess that's what started yeah. the process. Yeah, so running, and that was yeah. kind of like, oh, what you know, it's hard enough to make the damn things in this country, let alone actually getting people to see them. And that was kind of what I see myself as being able to help some way in that space because yeah. that's what I do. Um, is going well. No, you've done an amazing job making it. Now mm. let's get it seen. Yeah, and that's kind of what's led me to this. Yes. Yeah. So that was there, there weren't too many knockbacks in that process. Just yeah, no, door the, knocking. No, and, they were really supportive. Yeah. It, was, it was trying to get in front of them and get them to see it and, yeah. and just show them the marketing you were going to put around it. The fact that we had like uh, breakfast news lined up and, and all of these kind of things that they thought. Oh yes, it's they're not just trying to push it on yeah. us they're actually they're actually doing a lot to support the film exactly. and we're going to see the benefit of that and the local radio stations we're going to mm-hmm. shout out and we're doing giveaways and all those sorts of and the director was available for q and A's. so it was making sure you they knew that you know it was, but they were really supportive a lot of them were they took it straight away i think i think it was mm. 25 cinemas picked it up and mm. that was back before digital was really mm. a big thing in cinemas if you um, if you did that again today with a similar film, do you think that you'd you'd have the same kind of success, or, or if things changed theatrically? Is, uh, yeah, that's yeah. an interesting yeah. one. I because mean, it sounds it, like a really tough road from what it, you've just it, described. It, it, it is a tough road. It's yeah. not it's not a, it's not an easy thing at all. I think there are there are ways in which you can um, promote films that doesn't necessarily have to go theatrical. I mean, you've got all the online services now. There's different ways in which you can tackle the distribution. Mm. Um, in New Zealand, there is nothing wrong with doing it self-distributing. I've, mm. I've heard some great stories of success and money coming. You can always do it the retro it. way and release it on DVD. You, you could always saying, do that. I just, just uh, yeah, And this would be the perfect place to, to launch that. Uh, <laughs> um, and I would turn up for that launch. Um, yeah, there are many ways you can cut that cake. And I think... But I think it, there have been still recent successes. Oh, I think as oh, hibiscus and oh, forgive me for not getting the name right. Yeah, uh, hibiscus, ruthless and hibiscus that's or something. Right. Yeah. Hibiscus and ruthless. ruthless that's, that's it. Right. And the yeah. film the guy did before that, you know, self-distributed, made money and yeah. made enough money to make the next films, and, yeah, and sure. they did a pretty job. Been, but they knew their market. Yeah. They yeah. knew to target the, the the Pacific Island community in Auckland and yeah. and the way in which they went about it. Mm-hmm. You can't just go and release it out there and expect people to come. Yes, yeah. you've got to be more targeted with what you yeah. do. So your relationship to New Zealand films is so that was the only time that you've done that. That was just that one. It was that it was that one time, which kind of yeah. led to other other yeah. things. I a little bit up, 
like me, d- releasing the, the DVD and Blu-ray of Utu Redux. You know, yes. I've only done it once. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and that's not yeah. to be put off doing yeah. it again. No. It was, and, and it gets through. Yeah. And you've seen festivals actually releasing films now through distribution channels overseas. So yeah. there are going to be other avenues, yeah. and I'm sure I would yeah. tackle it again. I wasn't yeah. put off by it. But it was hard, as it, as it is to get the things made. It's hard. It's hard road in New Zealand sometimes, yeah. um, and it was for me. It was an experiment. It was to yeah. go out there and see what the the you know what the issues were, what the challenges were, um, and to, to find other ways of solving that. And that's so. You say you've always wanted to uh, hold a festival. You know, it's like a childhood dream come true in some ways. You know, yeah. uh, and 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 it's. Uh, um, but you've you've been in a got a marketing company and so you've been in a position to be able to tap into those avenues is that really what's happened is it it's been the stars have aligned so that your interest in films has uh coincided with where you are in your yes it has i mean and the day job certainly supports that it's yeah not, you know the, the so self self-sustaining so therefore the, will be soon I'm so sure. um even before you were involved in going to festivals and uh and um Working in the film industry, you were you were making overseas trips for your your regular job. Yes, I, yeah, yeah, a few. Yes, I was. Um, yeah. Not so much the markets, but yeah. I, I guess it, it also. I guess my family and friends got sick of me showing them stuff. They, my brother calls it snippets, where I'd always show people trailers and go, "You have to come." You know, I'd always organise movie nights, and it's all that kind of. So it, it was just you know. You make an event though. Yeah, yeah. It was always about getting event. people together and then going yeah. and seeing a movie, and, and I and I love doing that, and I love showing yeah. people things that are coming out. I'd always send trailers to friends or make my family watch five or six trailers, mm-hmm. going, "Have you seen this? Have you seen?" I still do that, um, much to their annoyance. Um, it's even worse now. But the that you know that was just that's naturally what I love to do, and so it kind of fits to do that in a festival yeah. where I can you know. But show, it would otherwise be intimidating to, to get on a plane and go overseas and go to an international festival and say, hey, you know, um, how about my festival? Or, hey, I'm interested in putting up a festival when you're, when you're unproven. Yeah, I, th- like I think so. Was there an intimidation factor along there, the way? There, what I, was, I, I mean, I, I ended up setting up a, a blog site for a while and doing some press stuff, and that got me my first ticket to Cannes, where they actually gave me a press pass, which I was amazingly surprised by. Yeah. Um, and I went along and I kind of, it's, it's interesting, you are intimidated when you go to your first one, but any advice I can give about that, whether you're doing it for my purpose or another purpose, is just go to one and don't have too much of an agenda, just go and experience it. Mm. And the best thing I found about that is all the networking relationships that you get out of that. And again, it sounds a bit cliched, but a lot of the stuff that I'm doing now and a lot of things I've been able to put together was because I knew somebody, I met somebody at a party at yeah. a festival and it's always that face to face and then when you go and soak it all in next time you go when you have a purpose you kind of know what to do what not to do yeah. I mean that's a very expensive way of going about it but if you yeah. get the opportunity to go to one particularly mm-hmm. one of the big ones um, just go if you can before you have a reason to go and experience it all and then you'll understand yeah it. yeah yeah, yeah. That it, makes makes, sense. it makes perfect sense um, one of the other uh, things that you have to uh, worry about running a, a festival, especially of um, sometimes edgy material, is, is the cen- censorship side of things, and um, that's a subject that's very close to my heart and, uh, <laughs> and, and close to my agenda at this very point in time as well. Um, so, and in fact, I have a, a meeting next week with the uh, the new chief censor in the classification office, and uh, they seem to be um, all ears about 
listening to our point of view and about how we can perhaps have some positive change to uh, 30 year old legislation yeah um, which I won't go into detail about right now but um, um, your relationship with them and and all the, the machinations um, around censorship for a, um, a sci-fi festival how's that been uh, look it's been it's been good I, again old legislation does throw up its challenges but they have been incredibly supportive of of what I do the the New Zealand films get, you know get um, a no charge they classify them at no charge which is incredibly supportive of the local industry um, and they have been incredibly supportive pushing through a lot of the films I get uh, a lot well not last minute but only a few weeks and the, and the process uh, there is you know takes a, a little longer than that so they've been incredibly supportive getting mm-hmm. stuff through but it obviously has its challenges as you grow so those conversations are incredibly important to go how can we make the process easier for people and and look you know there are far bigger festivals than mine the, I'm sure the NZIFF um, you know, see that as well, where they get all those amazing films from Cannes um, yep. to get them through, and, and I think it, it it feels like all parties want to come together to discuss that and, and make it a better. Yeah, well, well thing, I'm which you is, know, which quiet, is quietly optimistic, but you know we will see. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to explain something to listeners about the relationship of a film festival to what um, what's available on on DVD. Um, we, we as a DVD store are somewhat beholden and limited to the films that you've chosen to program in the festival and 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 other festivals as well so we rely on on cross rating because the um the distribution of of dvds has has diminished and uh has been decimated really and so it's only through festivals that um that the, the left of centre product can actually uh, receive a classification that's yeah. meant for adult audiences. If it's an M rating or a PG or a G, don't have to worry so much, but it's yes. all this um, material that's aimed at adults. And uh, so it it means that if there are films that you miss or other festival programmers miss, uh, we we never see it. It's, 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 it's never available on, in hard copy. Yeah. And... Um, and an, and an example of this might be a film called um, Mr. Nobody. I don't know if you remember that yeah. sci-fi film, Jared yeah, Leto from 2009. That was one yeah. example. But a more recent one um, is one we've talked about earlier, um, Brawl in Cell Block 99, yes. um, which is a, a highly acclaimed uh, prison drama, uh, a violent film with Vince Vaughn, yes. but um, highly acclaimed and on a lot of uh, top tens of last year. And I understand that was one that you just about programmed it did and, yeah. and it was it was it was one of those well, actually i kind of regret not programming it now um simply because we the um guy who made that ended up making a drag across the concrete and we were trying to get that um and didn't want to end up with a if we got the one having both and then how the bit of a programming nightmare when you only have 12 slots um in in years to come when we have you know, 50 slots it wouldn't be a problem um so that was that was just a call that we made and tried to get the other one because we heard it might be available yeah. um and now it's playing at monster fest so i'm even more gutted that i don't get that one or this one um yeah. uh, so so unfortunately we kind of missed out i mean you can't again mm. when you have when you're starting and smaller you can't choose everything yeah. um, i think we've got a pretty varied program but but there are you know the odd one sort of slips through and as you say poses challenges for then getting it rated um, yeah. So, so what happened with that one is it was released in Australia, I think, probably twelve months ago. Yes, um, never DVD, made it here. Blu-ray not released here because yeah. the distributor. I tell you, this is what happens: is yeah. if they don't get sufficient pre-orders from yeah. the two main retail chains in New Zealand, they say forget about it. Yeah. 
and so we're, it's reliant on the JB Hi-Fi's and the Mighty Apes to, and, to, to, to actually buy enough copies, mm. and that's <laughs> the state of the of the situation. So one thing that we uh, that I was keen to to hook up with you, James, just because you are dealing at the theatrical end, um, is and a way to kind of um, bring this together with some of the censorship issues and the the, the talks that we're going to be having shortly is to perhaps um, rectify some of those um, those films that, that have dropped through the, the cracks um, and be able to perhaps stage special screenings like pop-up screenings so for, for unrated films. Yeah, I, I, think, and I think so. And therefore get sufficient numbers, you know, along paying a theatrical, um, you know, um, ticket price yes. that covers the cost of censorship for that particular film and thereby making it available. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, there's a, there's a perfect example of that in the festival. So I... Um, I'll get this stuff. Make sure I get it right. But Assassination Nation, which mm-hmm. which played at Toronto and and Universal had picked up for Australasia, but they weren't going to do a theatrical release of it. And they were still deciding what to do with it, and may never have, you know, may not have come out. So yeah. one of the things we had to do was actually get it rated. Mm-hmm. So so they said as long you know you can have it as long as you cover the rating cost um, and the cost of getting the DCP yeah. um, across, which mm-hmm. actually you know was a toss up between how much it was going to cost to transfer the files, depending on where the files were, and whether we had to create our own DCP, which can cost a lot of money. Um, but they were very supportive of that process and got it to us for an amazing price. So, um, But that was one of those things that if, if we hadn't taken it, that may have been fallen straight into your bucket. I love that film. I yeah. saw it. It's absolutely bonkers. Um, and it's, it's like a really messed up Black Mirror episode, like mm-hmm. Black Mirror with the volume turned to 11. Sure. Uh, and I sword in Toronto and I was like I've got to have this film and I chased it everywhere and got it but it was an exact example of that where you know you can have it but you have to get it rated and mm. we're very fortunate as a festival to get uh, you know a discount on ratings um, and that, mm. that's reliant on us operating in a not-for-profit way I think mm. uh, and also supporting New Zealand films so we had there's a, you know, a bit on our end to do that mm. but as you say you know mm. how we do things like that and how we work that I mean I'm, I'm a big fan of pop-up screenings as, as I well know, there are films I don't get because they get, you know, they're, they're not in the time frame close enough to the festival, or they, yeah. or they eventually get out there somehow, or some somebody's leaked them online. Everybody's seen it before it even gets a chance to get released in New Zealand. So, I I I think that where there's an opportunity to do some of these really good films that might not have a life pop-up screenings are brilliant mm, mm. so so I do yeah. plan to do pop-up screenings next year and we're not just talking about new films we're also talking about a whole catalogue of oh, films absolutely. that have fallen into obscurity for almost the same reason oh absolutely so it'll be retro I mean last year we our opening night film was The Girl With All The Gifts which had mm. actually been around for almost a year and a half but it had never played in New Zealand yeah. and it's a fantastic yeah. film and it was it, you know I was going how's this not played here yeah so we were very fortunate to get that. But that yeah. still, you could consider that quite an old film. Yeah. So you are indeed filling a niche. Trying filling to, a gap yeah, in, the in my own small absolutely. way, yes. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So James, the requirement for being on this podcast is that you have to actually adopt a movie. And um, you have indeed obliged us I with have. your $20 note. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> we weren't going to talk uh, about that. Uh, we weren't. But... Um, <laughs> I um, would you like to tell us the name of the film that you've adopted in our videos library? The the film I have adopted is is a nineteen eighties classic horror uh, called Candyman, which is one of the first films to truly unnerve me when I watched it. And and actually, I was asked by um, the guys at Flix to write a little comment for their hundred 
um, best horror films, uh, and and that got me thinking about you know what are these what are the films that I remember that sort of got me into horror. And so that, they that asked you f- to pick one film of their hundred. Oh no, of any 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 horror film that that I wanted to say was my right. Well, I guess my favourite. I would you know I've got plenty of favourites, but it was one that just always springs to mind when somebody asks me that question uh, mm-hmm. and somebody else had already selected it so I kind of was second in line to second his comments oh, on I that. See, right. but it yeah. is it is a it is a it's a fantastic film one of those films that I think that you know um obviously I'm a little older so so uh, people younger than I should get it out and have a look at it and any uh, I, I said in my comment any budding uh, genre filmmakers in the horror space could could learn a lot from that film because it is it, it it sounds like a very simple premise but actually there's a load of layers to that movie and the, the psychological tension in it and oh. it doesn't rely on it has it has gore and it has a few moments where you jump but it doesn't oh. rely on those things to really creep you out oh. um, which a lot of the films these days just rely on that oh. and I think you know oh. You could, oh. you could learn a lot from it here's the copy of the candy band with your name on it <laughs> Fantastic. and uh, there's your uh Oh, look your, at that. Your, your certificate. The certificate. That's, right. That's brilliant. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> um, so I, I did actually catch a little bit of it um, today. I didn't get a chance to, 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 uh, to watch all of it. I was too busy watching Prospect. Uh, but it was good to reacquaint myself with it. And um, 1992, in fact. Oh, 1990s. Yes, so yeah, I say yeah, 1980s, yeah. didn't yeah, I? Yeah, there but, you go. but it very much has uh, the 1980s flavor. And I looking at it, I thought it was sort of somewhere in between... Um, uh, sort of Nightmare on Elm Street, 80s stylized uh, horrors, yeah. kind of rem- which have that aesthetic of the music videos of the 1980s. Yes. It still has that flavor to it. Um, and then at the other end, it's uh, before, say, David Fincher's Seven, which is 1995, yes. which is kind of that post grunge industrial aesthetic. It's kind of in between there uh, on, on the horror timeline. Right. Well, th- thank you for letting me get away with the, the, the slip of the date. And oh, not at not, all. No, not, no, no. Redacting no. my I've, I've, I've done some fresh um, research. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but it does, you're right, it does have that 80s sensibility because mm. it is about, you know, your, your Freddy Krueger or your Jace. It's got that kind of. It does, urban legend. Urban legend style, but it's done mm. in a very kind of not unique way. It's just the way it, 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 it handles the material and. Obviously, you don't want to give it entirely away if you haven't seen it, but the, it's got strong lead performances. It adds layers to the complexity of the relationship between Candyman and 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 our protagonist. It it really kind of and it doesn't play out quite the way you think it would. Yep. And and there's that kind of you've got a strong female lead character who who has moments of being very strong, but then also is very vulnerable. Mm. And there's parts of it you're just going, this is a this is a rabbit hole that she's just tumbling down yeah. and has no control yeah. over. Mm. And it and it and it really kind of unnerves you slightly mm. and you you do go, Where's this gonna go now? Oh my God, this is you know, where, yep. where's this leading us to? And you know, a lot of the the films of that ilk and, and, and recent films, there's no no real surprise to it. And and it, it does sort of it doesn't play out quite the way you yeah, think it yeah, might, yeah, yeah. And, and and that's not just with the ending; it's just through the film, some of the mm. situations she finds herself in. You're mm. like, just, just to clue viewers in a little more that haven't seen it, it it, uh, it, it has the 
the classic uh, grad student investigating urban legends yes. narrative. Yes. So Virginia Madsen plays this young woman who is investigating the the legend of the Candyman, yes, um, and uh, and of course it you know manifests itself. Yep. Um, saying his name five times indeed in so one of the other things I thought that might you said that it scared the, the bejesus out of you when you first saw it and I take it you were a very young lad uh, in yeah. 1992 not, not, yeah, not, not as young as I thought I was <laughs> um, is the idea of superstition and I, I thought about it it's that idea of conjuring up something uh, like the candy man by saying his name five times in, in a mirror and it's like well what a load of baloney but in fact, you know, would you do it? Well, the amount of... I mean, <laughs> I do it now, and I have done it. Oh, you have done I, it? I have done it. It's, I have it's done not it, but true? It's still, it's still reluctant, though. That's I, it's so funny, because when you do it, you get to the fifth time, and still in the back of your head... You, what if? You, you pause for a split <laughs> second, and, yeah. you, and you don't know why, and you know, it's yeah, completely yeah, rational, yeah. but you still do it. And I yeah. remember, you know, watching it with friends, and yeah. you know, watching my own, watching it with friends, and mm. people trying to do it, and there was still that... Yeah. Even the, even the tough guys or tough yeah. girls was still that hesitation. Because really, do we need to be encumbered with more bad luck? You know that, that no, we might it, already and have. And it plays on that too. It does. It's that kind of the, it's it's quite <laughs> clever. It's clever in that. It's yeah. clever in that way. Yeah. And just because of the you know the the, the what's unleashed in the film, you, you mm. know that sort of rabbit hole. It just yeah. gets worse and worse for and it's for our lead. More, it's kind of like you don't yeah. want to invoke that because there's really no coming back. No, exactly. <laughs> Even though it's what if you accidentally? Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous did? on one other level, yeah. It's funny. But um, uh, it's Clive Barker, based on a Clive Barker short, and Clive. It reminded me again of how big Clive Barker was. That name was huge in the late eighties after Hellraiser, yeah. um, which I actually learned that he directed Hellraiser. Yep. Did not know that, or forgotten that. It's um, a great film. The original yeah, Hellraiser yeah, yeah. is fantastic. And so, um, and so he was. Um, you know, he was a, a big horror brand in the late eighties, early nineties. Uh, in fact, Stephen King said he was the future of horror, and I think that the distributors just went to town on that line yeah. for years. Well, they did, and there were a lot of imitators too. Yeah, obviously, you know, it was yeah, kind of like more grotesque. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, did they, you know, I also saw it as a precursor to J horror as re- as well. Yeah. The Ringu film uh, yes. again, investigating an urban myth. You know, yeah, uh, a skeptic is then turned into a, a, um, a, a you know somebody deeply involved. Yes, and, it, <laughs> and, and, and yeah, it's interesting you should say that because that's that's so true. And and also that the in in that and like with the, the, the not the remake of, the, of Ringu but the, the original, mm. they weren't afraid to show things that perhaps weren't popular or i mean the candy man you know his backstory is that he was the you know, son of a slave and um uh, married a white one and gave birth to her and as punishment for the families to have his you know he was a painter yeah and the reason why he gets his hook is because his arm with his painting arm was yeah. cut off and yeah. that's yeah not exactly a popular you know he wasn't no, shot down by sure. gangsters and his no no it's quite it a literary um, it wasn't afraid to kind of take base, well, i wouldn't yeah. say it was a risk but again in, you know in mm. the japanese ring again not all of it makes sense or has mm. to be based around popular yeah you know, yeah yeah cultural yeah. things that are relevant at the time yeah. it kind of just went no this is his story yeah yeah and it's all the better for it good oh well thank you for Bringing it back to my attention. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, another thing I was going to ask you was the uh, the festival is Wellington only. Uh, do you have plans to, to broaden it out, or am I, I do? I, I there, you know, I, I it's um, still deciding on that one. I mean, it will Wellington will always be its home. That's I'm a Wellington born and raised, so it'll always 
always be first here. Uh, but we'll see where it, where it goes. There's obviously a, you know a, a big audience in, in the likes of Auckland and mm. Christchurch. You know, love love their film too, or anywhere. In, in yeah. fact, so it'll be interesting to see whether the festival evolves to having spots in other cities, like a lot of the festivals in New Zealand. It's, sure. It seems to be a New Zealand thing that yep. festivals travel. So. Yeah keen to explore yeah. that but also by the same token if it can be a, a wellington centered event and and yep. grow from there and have it attract people to the city i'm, I'm all for that too it's really cool. what you know what, yeah. what people want and how that kind of i noticed you had a mix of premieres so some are new zealand premieres um which you've scored and then there are others that are wellington premieres so something like suspiria um is, is has already debuted in Auckland, it will. Well, the 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 story behind we were going to have the New Zealand premiere, uh, and that was offered up as the a film on the thirty first. So we would have been a joint premiere, but we had The Shining locked in. Uh, so okay. it wasn't able to. It wasn't able to be. But oh, it's right. it's only a, a, two, a few days. It's, it's yeah, oh, a day or two well, out. It's not. Yeah. it's not too far uh, far gone for that. Um, so right. yeah. So but the you know, most of the others are, are, are New Zealand premieres, and yeah, yeah, we're yeah. pretty excited by that. Yeah, um, um, we just back to the uh, the idea of um, your role in New Zealand films. Um, so you've uh, we've talked recently about um, making more genre films in New Zealand and how that um, is something that you would like to get behind. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there is a that we're not doing it well enough? Um, currently, that, that that's not where the the money is going. Or oh, look, I without getting into a political debate on it, I think. Mm. Look, I think. Just your I think personal we, take. Well, oh, my personal take is is that I think we're very fortunate in this country to have money given to films. There, it is a limited pot, uh, and and it is mandated to go to certain purposes. Although there are pots of money around for genre stuff, I think that has encouraged certain types of films to be made and people sort of following that path. Um, I, I also, at the same token, think that the the market needs to fend for itself in some ways and look for other avenues to try and uh, bring money to projects or or or, or, or um, find Kickstarter money to at least elevate those projects to be noticed overseas. I don't think you can rely on one source. I think that's oh. that's you know, oh. it's impossible, and the, you know that that source um, has limited resources. Um, I, you know, I have my own personal take on where I think those resources should go, but 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 I think that you know whichever way you cut that cake it is limited so if genre is being underserviced at the moment i think there are you know there are certainly models to follow to show that it is a successful avenue in filmmaking i mean you have to go no further than blumhouse uh, yes it's not always easy to repeat that and i'm sure everybody tries but mm. i think we have all of the makings of great uh, genre in this country i think you know, there is certainly the talent here. There are some I've read some incredible scripts. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a lot of IP floating around, and then you add to that all the locations, the the um, you know the the the, the, the likes of Wetter and, and Park mm -hmm. Road, who are very supportive of indie projects, mm -hmm. and all the contractors that come into mm -hmm. this country that sit around mm -hmm. for periods of time, waiting for the next big budget one to come in. I know this is a very simplistic uh, no, model, no, no, of it, but sense. I think yeah. we have a lot of opportunity to mm -hmm. kind of. Um, make some more, even in the downtimes of the big budget films, to make more genre. And there is an appetite for it. Talking mm. to the sales agents, they yep. want to know what's coming out of New Zealand. They're very interested in the yep. genre of stuff that's coming out of here. They want to, they want to see more of it. So if there's a market appetite yep. for it, and we certainly have all the all the raw materials for lack of better mm. words to to make that, I think I think we should. Mm. 
I think that yeah. you know it's about finding other ways to get that money to make the shorts if we talked about shorts yeah. proving make being a proving ground for, for how do we find ten or twenty thousand dollars to to help you know these filmmakers yeah. at least make their concept short or, or mm. short to prove that there's there's mm. a feature film in this yeah. to elevate them above the crowd I think yeah. not to it, it just you know watching Prospect again going back to that that yeah. film um, it's I call it uh, high concept low budget filmmaking you know, which, which is a, an interesting uh, avenue you know it's where, where people can put I- ideas that don't necessarily cost the earth yeah. and um, it's interesting that you're uh, the drive around what we could do more locally in terms of our production and where we should be putting more emphasis is driven by your conversations with um, your overseas contacts and, and people it is. It's that, not are, just that a are running preference. the industry. Obviously, yeah. I, do, I do love yeah. genre film, yeah. but, but, but people are but looking for content and they're asking you for it. Actively and looking for it. There's a perfect yeah. example of what I, I've been messier... Um, the College of Creative Arts, Mass University, incredibly supportive sponsors of Vestal. One of the things I did was they invited me in to see some of the projects that the students were, were working on. One of the projects, uh, one called Return to Fable Grove, really was just an outstanding piece of work. And I offered to take that project overseas to get real-world feedback on it from sales agents. And one of the sales agents that I've worked with at the festival was so taken by it. they you know, and, and they've actually hounded me about it, going... Get them to shoot a short. If the short's any good, we can use the footage to pre-sell. Want it, you know? And it's very rare you get sales agents harassing you for projects. Yeah. And this project was so good, yeah. uh, even though it was, you know, I shouldn't say was. It's a it's a student project with a limited budget on the mm. obviously a budget that they have available. But they are now shooting their short, and, and wow. you know that there are avenues yeah. there that are being created by this and there is an appetite yeah. from the market for yeah. it so it isn't just a personal preference I, I can seen see the Terrify Festival of 2019 adding a symposium on uh, on, on sci-fi um, and genre film development well, I think look I, one of the things I was trying to do this year is get some sales agents out that it didn't it work out but they're definitely willing to come mm. um, and so one of the things I want to put on for 2019 is is, is a is exactly that a symposium with all stages of development, but particularly mm. with with my focus is how to get noticed, how to how to know what the market wants, how to pitch to market, mm. and and close that gap between mm. the market and yeah. and the, the talent. And mm. if we can do that in some way, that would be sounds fantastic. really exciting. Yeah, awesome, oh, yeah, James. Hey, thank you so much for coming and talking to us no about problem it. At all. thoroughly enjoyed talking me. to you. Yeah, and um, best of luck with the festival this year and beyond. Yep, yep, absolutely. See you at the Roxy. beyond. Thank you. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed that. If you'd like to get tickets to the festival or check out the full lineup, then visit www.terrifyfest.com. That's T E R R O R F I F E S T.com. As you might have heard in that conversation, I have a meeting with the new chief censor and his staff uh, within the next week. And I wanted to take this opportunity to clue you in about it, because this is, after all, a public matter, and not only one that profoundly affects our business, but it affects the film-going public and the taxpayer at large. I should also state that I was invited to meet with them and their relatively new team, so they certainly are open to, if not yet committed to some sort of classification reform. So am I using this podcast medium as a strategy for reform? Absolutely. In fact, I've timed this so that I can directly send them a link to this podcast ahead of the meeting. Uh, 
I wanted to include them in my conversation with my customers who are affected by the issues. I did launch an official campaign for censorship reform in 2009 with an accompanying petition, though it was all rather single-handed and ultimately ineffective. What I did learn from that approach is that petitioning can only be effective if you can get the sufficient numbers to influence a political appetite for change. Um, unless you can make your issue mainstream, then forget about it. In 2018, the classification system poses an existential threat to the future viability of our business. In fact, the one thing that a DVD library such as ours and the classification office share is that we are both under existential threat. We have both been made effectively redundant by the internet, and you could argue that neither of us really need to exist. Now, I'm no statistician, but I'll stand by an estimation that at least 95% of filmed entertainment viewed in this country is on a platform that is not under the governance of the Film, Video and Publications Act of 1993, under which the Classification Office operates. That 95% might seem like an exaggeration, but that figure includes all network television like TV1, 2, 3, Prime and Maori TV, all cable television like Soho, Viceland, Comedy Central and countless others, all paid legitimate streaming services like Netflix, Lightbox and Neon, and what they call freemium internet channels also, like YouTube, Vimeo and the countless porn sites. Also all illegal and unbridled piracy services like Pirate Bay, Put Locker and 123 Movies for example. Yep, I'm naming and shaming those bastards and so should you. And last but not least, all DVDs and Blu-rays that are privately imported into New Zealand from the likes of Amazon. Now why is this the case? Two main reasons. The first is that network TV is self-regulated, which is to say that TV stations in theory are responsible broadcasters and are subject to what seem like a petty fine imposed by the Broadcasting Standards Authority should they misjudge their responsibility. Again, I don't have the resources to garner the facts and figures about how responsible they are, but I do know what I see on modern television and it ain't pretty. The other reason is that none of the other platforms that I've mentioned were invented before the legislation was enshrined in 1993, or in fact 1987 in the case of the Video Recordings Act. No streaming, no internet retail, no cable TV, no Blu-ray, no DVD. Just two nice channels, the movies, and those nasty video cassettes. Yes, the 1987 Video Recordings Act was even at the time draconian legislation that was essentially driven by moral panic that we inherited from the Queen's country. In fact, we modelled our legislation on very similar models in the UK and Australia, but there's one huge difference. We have a fraction of the population of both countries, and the economy of scale of a small country wanting an autonomous censorship system posed a set of problems that my business has been dealing with ever since. In fairness, this economy of scale was taken into some consideration by allowing New Zealand classifications to adopt the rating from Australia or the UK in the case of G, PG and M rated material. In fact, you could say that the lawmakers of 1987 had their hearts in the right place, but unfortunately, as with all outdated legislation, the letter of the law prevails over the spirit in which it is written. It is that letter of the law being stringently upheld which resulted in the truly absurd but pervasive practice of the mandatory classification of countless seasons of TV shows after they have been broadcast on television channels. 
All I can say is it must have felt pretty damned weird for classification officers to get paid to watch what they might well have caught the night before on public television. Millions of dollars and subsequent tax revenues from the industry have been lost due to this utterly pointless practice. As broadcasting standards became more permissive with shows like Sex in the City and The Sopranos, the legislation stayed rigid. But I guess the industry didn't mind so much while the dollars were sloshing around, and perhaps didn't bat an eyelid at paying over $1,000 per disc. Unless it was something considered niche, like The L Word, which was never officially released beyond Season 1 on DVD in New Zealand. Anyway, back to 2018. It is the reason why recent quality TV crime shows from the BBC like River, Loch Ness and SSGB remain unclassified and featured in the selection of contraband titles we displayed on our shop counter for a good portion of this year. All three have played on network television in New Zealand to large appreciative audiences but the supplier of BBC product in New Zealand withdrew their release here on DVD because they could not justify the economic equation of releasing them, due in no small part to the costs of mandatory classification. So we as a business are left high and dry with robust demand for such titles and a cut-off of the supply. Even on the last episode of this podcast, Episode number five, my guest Leah McFall talked of the post-romance of the romantic comedy genre as characterised by TV shows like Catastrophe, a British sitcom about the trials of marriage and early parenthood. It has frank talk about sex, which is de rigueur in any adult or even teenage conversation in a pub or cafe. It has some swear words. As she was mentioning her affection for this show, I was immediately struck by the irony of having Catastrophe Season 2 among our contraband titles that I had sporadically imported from Australia. And she was talking up Seasons 1 to 4. Leah, you didn't know it then, but at that moment I was dying inside. When we displayed these contraband titles, I confessed to occasionally capitulating to customer demand to rent them the discs. You could call it an act of non-compliance, or even an act of civil disobedience. Am I comfortable with this situation? Absolutely not. However, I don't think there's a single soul who would blame us or think there was anything morally wrong with what we have done on these occasions. It's the industry equivalent of parking for a few minutes on a yellow line. But more than that, it was an effort to stave off the increasing loss of customers to whom our competitors offer unregulated programming and services. We cannot compete with these corporate behemoths on convenience, nor on price. We can only compete on diversity, and diversity can only be provided through freedom of trade, and freedom of trade is extremely inhibited by the classification system as it stands. The classification office has voluntarily reduced their fees to wholesalers in recent months, and have done what they can within their power to stimulate the flow of releases. While I applaud the gesture, it's almost certainly too little too late. And besides, the fees are not really the problem here, because the classification process naturally costs money. The problem is that there's no need to be reclassifying a lot of this material, especially that which is designed for broad audiences on television and is aimed at adult audiences. There is an argument to say that people under 16 are not in the slightest bit interested in this material in the first place, so what's the point of classifying it at all? If it has no rating label at all, then it would make no difference because 99.99% of the market will be over 16. 
and besides any person 13, 14 or 15 that is interested, I say there's an intelligent person there that should be encouraged. So what am I looking for from the classification office? The same thing that I've been explicitly asking successive governments and the classification authorities since meeting before a select committee in 2004. That titles classified as 15 in the UK be able to be cross-rated to a New Zealand M for the standard nominal fee which is currently $20. This simple change to the regulations will not solve all our problems but it will make a huge difference to our ability to access and provide the diversity we need in order to maintain our relevance going forward. It will allow our, our Adopt-A-Movie scheme to flourish and it will make us a much better video library than we already are. And the better we are, the better chance we will survive. I have many other things to discuss with the classification office, which includes initiatives that I talked about with James, like the unrated pop-up screenings. Stuff that will make left-field cinema programming a much more viable prospect than it is. And that's good for the public. Wish me luck and stand by for a debrief uh, on our discussions in part two of my rant about censorship. I could touch on many other bugbears around this subject, but who knows, hopefully I won't need to. I'm quietly optimistic, but also realistic about how slow the wheels of bureaucracy can turn. Thank you so much for listening and for spreading the word about this issue and this podcast. And don't forget, you can support what we do directly by adopting a movie for yourself or someone you know, or you can become a valued friend of our video through our Patreon page, where we have a number of options for monthly support available. Also, if you think that you or someone you know would make an interesting guest for the podcast, then please get in touch. And we invite you to register your feedback about what you've heard, either in person or through the magic of electronics. Uh, also, don't forget to subscribe uh, for automatic updates. Until next time, bye-bye.